Welcome to Music Business Mindset, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow both personally and professionally as an artist. We do that by talking with really awesome musicians and people from the industry. Hey, my name is David Ryan Olson. I'm from Evergreen Records. We are a production company who really wants to help you grow even outside of the studio. So that's why we do things like this podcast. Very excited for today's episode because we have the one and only Graham Cochran on today's episode. Even if you aren't familiar with his name just right off the bat, there's a good chance you've probably seen one of his YouTube videos whenever you've searched in YouTube, how do I record vocals or how do I use Logic or something like that. Graham started the really popular YouTube channel, The Recording Revolution, and he has made a full-time income from that. So I wanted to bring him on today to talk about how can artists use the same business model he has used to grow his career to bring in sustainable income for the content that you're creating, which artists are businesses and content creators. So I thought of no one better to bring on to talk about both content and the music industry because this guy is amazing at both of those things. So before we jump into that conversation, just want to remind you real quick about our free workshop that we have set up for you. It's called Rock the Release. It's just going to teach you the essentials of promoting your music so that you get big results and get the attention you deserve. We're going to teach you the proven strategy that the top independent artists are using to get on playlists and blogs, get featured, get hype about their new music. So we're going to lay out that entire game plan for you in this half hour crash course. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for Rock the Release. But without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the conversation today with Graham Cochran. Graham Cochran. Dude, thanks so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm good, David. I'm honored to be the first person in your new space, it looks like. (laughs) If you're listening on the audio podcast, you can't see this, but I just moved into a new studio, which I'm very excited about. And this is time number one recording in this new space. So thankful that it's all working after unplugging everything and replugging everything back in. (laughs) You know that struggle. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, super glad you're here, man. Uh, Would love just to kind of dive in And would you just be willing to share your story for people who aren't familiar with you? Yeah. So in the music space, I'm probably better known for the recording revolution, where I teach musicians how to record music, how to think about what they need to buy for their home studio. Mostly people who are trying to do it on a budget, who don't have a built out space, and they're just trying to make the best use of it. They didn't go to audio school. And so I try to speak to musicians as musicians, as opposed to scientists or engineers. And so I just think of like people in Abbey Road with like the lab coats and like (laughs) building equipment. Like I I don't have any of those skills. I'm just a a creative at heart. So I got into that though, actually trying to get freelance clients for my my mixing or remote mixing business. And so I, I was doing recording and mixing for bands in Virginia for years. I went to audio school. I was interning in a big studio and I kind of hated the environment that I was in at this big studio. And um, I realized it was going to be really hard to get the one backup engineer job that was available to all the other interns. And so I was like, you know what? I could just do this on my own and just work with artists I really want to. I don't need to be in a big studio. So I went freelance and that was what I was doing for years, nights and weekends. And then daytime, I was an audio engineer for a software company doing voiceover recording. And when I moved to Florida in 09, That's when everything changed. I bought my first house, had my first baby, took a job down here to just get started. And then that company ran out of money. And I was out of a job and it was in the middle of the recession. It was hard to get jobs. And I was like, well, I'll just ramp up the freelance stuff. I I could do remote mixing from anywhere. So I had some clients I was still working on, but I just needed to ramp it up faster. 
And that's how I got into blogging and doing YouTube videos because I didn't know, you know, how to get in front of people. And I was not familiar with anybody in Tampa where I live now. I didn't know the local scene. So I was like, well, let me just get on the internet and show people what I'm doing with my clients, go over some mixed stuff, and and maybe it'll get me discovered. Maybe people will want to hire me. That was my vision. And long story short, people were more interested in what I was teaching them about how I got the sounds I got or what equipment I was using. That led to more content, more videos, more blogs, and then eventually online courses and membership sites and a whole business. And now I teach people about business. That's what I do full-time is teach online business to people. So it's been a crazy 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I want to know a little bit more about your background before even the recording revolution. You were a musician, obviously. What were you involved with musically? Yeah, I grew up singing. My dad was a classically trained vocalist. And so singing was my first love for creative work. And then I, I got into like concert band and I played trumpet. Then I created a middle school band and we were going to take over the world. <laughs> Every middle school band is going to take over the world, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, but this time we really were. No, but you know, everyone had their instrument and they wanted me to be the front man, to be the singer. And I just felt dumb standing there singing without like an instrument. And the only instrument I could play was trumpet. And I wasn't going to do some weird trumpet slash singing thing. So I was like, I need to teach myself guitar. And that's when I, I got an old guitar that my grandfather had. And I just started getting tab books for like Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilot songs and, <laughs> and Alice in Chains and figuring out how to play these songs that I loved in the early 90s. And um, I was like, dude, I can do this. I can play some basic chords and I can, I can now sing and play at the same time. And then I felt like I could come out of my shell and write songs and create and try things out. And that I fell in love with that songwriting, performing. And then I stumbled into recording by accident when we were trying to go to the studio as a band in high school. And somebody said, look, we're only going to get like 10 hours of studio time with the amount of money we have. Like, how are we going to make a record sound good? That's going to be really rushed. What if we bought some equipment and try to figure it out ourselves? And I was like, that sounds really hard. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know about that. <laughs> but that was the route we decided to go. We thought the risks of not knowing what we were doing outweighed the pros of having unlimited time to figure it out. So we bought a Korg 8-track hard disk recorder, and we had some practice mics from our buddy's house where we rehearsed. And um, nobody wanted to read the manual to figure this thing out. So I didn't either. And it was written by like guys in lab coats. Again, like this is the worst stuff. <laughs> so none of it made sense, but I really wanted to get our record made. So I, I would go home, open the manual, read it, fiddle with it, and then and teach myself multi-track recording. And once I understood what was happening, I was like, oh my gosh. This not only is super fun to play with, but the recording studio, as little as it was for us back then, is actually a songwriting tool. It was like a song creation tool because I could try out harmonies with myself and I could try out lead guitar parts on top of my chords. My mind was blown. And so then my love for recording equaled my love for songwriting and equaled my love for performing. And it was like the three things I loved about music and I wanted to do all three. And that sent me to audio school. That sent me to freelance stuff. And I, just, I literally love all three equally. I wouldn't want to just be a songwriter. I wouldn't want to just be an engineer. I wouldn't want to just be a touring musician. I like elements of all three. And so I was able to carve out a space where I could do all three for fun and profit and uh, be creatively satisfied. Yeah, no, that's great. I think even if you're not trying to be an audio engineer, every musician should know some basics on how to write into a computer. Just from the level of like 
oh, does this actually work? Like, you know, does this harmony actually fit? Does this, like, you know, lead line clash with the vocal? It, you know, it, it's one thing to be, like, noodling around and, and hear it with your buddies at practice, but it's another to actually hear it coming out of the speakers and, you know, hear it more objectively, which is why I really appreciate what you're doing. Hope you're not going to work me out of a, a job as a mix engineer by <laughs> teaching everybody how to mix. But, no, everyone needs to know some of that. So, uh, really appreciate what you're doing there. Would love to know... A little bit about this transition between going from the recording revolution to focusing on this new brand. And listeners may be wondering, okay, well, where's David going with this talking, you know, about online business? I promise we're going somewhere with this. So would love to know a little bit about this transition into this new Graham Cochran brand you've launched in the past few years. Yeah. So I think as much as I'm like a planner and I like to imagine life as this linear thing that you can find a target, shoot for it and hit it, then that can happen in small doses and small situations. Life I've found is not really like that. So it's been like, I'm doing this thing and then that leads to another thing and that leads to another thing. And so teaching online business has become one of those things that that evolved out of what I was doing. So the recording revolution became so wildly successful that like word started to get around. People were interested in what I was doing. People that weren't interested in music or recording were interested in the business I was building in this weird hobby niche. So I got approached by Business Insider. They did an article on me in 2015. They're like, this musician is making this amount of money every month by teaching music recording. And they just thought it was one of those cool segments of like, he has a cool job kind of thing. And it's amazing what you can do online. When that article came out, for like a day, it was like trending on Yahoo's like homepage. I don't even know if anyone goes to yahoo.com anymore, but <laughs> I think Verizon just sold it to some investment firm anyway. But back in the day, it trended and all of a sudden I got all this attention for a, a moment in time back in 2015 and I was getting emails from like people all over the world who had a business that maybe was in person, like a personal trainer who was like, look, I need to take my business online. I can only train, but so many people in person. How do I do what you're doing with music, but with you know, weight loss or personal training, or I had people who had online businesses ask me about that. Can you just share kind of what your business model is? I know people know you from your YouTube videos, but people say, okay, making content's great, but how do you actually make money doing that? Oh, I love this question. The short answer is I make money selling online courses and membership sites. So imagine a YouTube video, how to EQ a kick drum, 10 minutes, that's helpful. Imagine a whole course on how to record and mix drums and, and we're taking you in the studio and filming it and showing you how to do all of it, you know, four or five hours, like people pay for that. That will be an online course. It's like a class. It's like audio school, but, you know, online and more fun and a la carte. And then membership site communities where people can join a private community, like a Facebook group, but it's paid. So there's a paywall. There's higher quality people. They can ask each other questions. I do live coaching. I'm in there. And so all of that stuff is what pays the bill. So the YouTube thing, and this is something we could talk about as we get into it, if we want, people see content on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, and they think, okay, if you just have a lot of followers, somehow money comes in, maybe it's the ads they run, maybe it's brand deals. That can happen and does happen. Much harder to make a lot of money doing that than it seems. Much easier to make a lot of money once you've built some audience by selling them your own products. And I sell digital products that are downloadable, 100% profit, low overhead, online courses and membership sites. So that's what the Recording Revolution has been doing for 12 years. And that's what was making me the money that I was making that people were starting to take notice of. And they were like, how does that work when it seems like such a small random niche of music recording? 
Gotcha. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Because I know we kind of, I didn't want to get too far in without explaining how this was an actual business and not just like, oh, this guy has a lot of YouTube followers and is having a good time doing that. Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying. <laughs> so let's just kind of continue. You had this article come out, you know, talking about you're building an audience, you're teaching people how to do stuff and you're making money. What happened after that? Yeah, I mean, that just, like I said, it got me attention, but what it got me was people who wanted me to coach them. They wanted to pay me to teach them how to build an online business around what they were good at, whether it was fitness or whether it was teaching a foreign language or a motorcycle mechanic. These are all like, clients of mine. And so they weren't music people. And this is the first time I was getting paid by non-music people, but it was because of the business model I had developed. They were like, yeah, how do I do that? I'm good at this skill. How do I turn that into a digital business? And so I started coaching people in 2015. And I realized early on at that point that like going back to, the, I loved performing and then I loved songwriting and then I loved recording. This was now a new love. I love business building, specifically these online businesses built around content, teaching, helping people. It's been mind-blowing and life-changing for me and my family. And then the people I was coaching and teaching for them as well, I was like, dude, I could talk about this all day long and I, I could help a lot of people do this. So it brought me back to, in a weird way, when I started the recording revolution, although back then I had less confidence because I didn't think who would really care about the videos I was posting. But I learned early on that like, oh, there's a, a need here. I could help people and that felt good. I felt that again, only now teaching people about online business. And so that's led me to like, I would love to start another resource, catalog everything I know about online business and the way I do it. And that led to the Graham Cochran brand. Gotcha, gotcha. So online business is such like a, that's a big term, <laughs> you know? Would love for you to kind of maybe break down what that is a little bit, just more in general. I know you touched on specifically what it was for the recording revolution, but what kind of cast vision for what an online business can be? Because I know a lot of people are in this spot of like, well, I'm either like a service or I have like a product, but it's not necessarily like, you know, this online business. So just kind of give us online business 101 <laughs> real quick, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of types of online businesses. So yeah, you're right. It's a huge junk drawer term in a lot of ways. Like you could be doing drop shipping, you could be doing consulting. But what I'm really interested in and what I teach primarily is how to build digital products like online courses and membership sites that are educational in nature, teach something to someone and can be sold automatically through a website, through an email sequence, it's pre-written. And so therefore they can scale, meaning I could sell 10 copies of my course today, or I could sell 10,000 copies of my course today. It doesn't affect how much work I have to do because I've already done the work. I built the course and have a system to sell it. So it allows you to scale, which means you don't have to work a whole lot of hours in this kind of business because you're really building an infrastructure that propagates itself to it sells around the clock. So you're not just making money when you're in the studio with a client or when you're even consulting. You have to have a client, you jump in on a call with them. Like I do some coaching, but I make the most of my money selling courses. So like you and I can be having a conversation right now and I'm probably selling courses right now while we're talking. That is a good thing for leveraging your time. And that that's what I teach people how to do. So what this looks like, there's four, there's four components to this kind of business model. One is audience building. And we do that through content. So that's why you see me on YouTube, making YouTube videos, having a podcast, writing a blog, right? Content that is evergreen and searchable. So this does not include 
Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse. Although those are great platforms for connecting and they're fun and they can have their place, that's very different than shooting a YouTube video and posting it where now people are going to YouTube like a search engine looking for something and you have the ability to be discovered and that video you shot 10 years ago could still be discovered. You do it once, it lives on forever and can send people your way. So the first component is creating content that people find when they're looking for that type of stuff and you show up. The second component is moving them from just consuming your content online to getting on your email list. And this is one of the things we could dive into because I think it's one of the things people miss. They think email is so 1999, but email marketing drives most purchases online today. The stats keep coming in that 60% of people who bought something online are comfortable buying through email marketing versus only 12% feeling comfortable buying on social media platforms. Social media is just not a platform we go to buy, um, but we get an email from our favorite clothing retailer or tickets are on sale for something and like, yeah, click over and buy it. It's a natural fit. So you need to get people on your email list to sell to them also because they may not find you ever again on YouTube or your blog or your podcast. They're not gonna come back. They might come back, but you don't wanna have a strategy that hopes they come back. You want to move them from content to a list that you now can directly connect with them on, especially if Facebook goes away or Instagram goes away or everybody leaves Instagram for TikTok or everyone leaves TikTok for something else. Like you don't wanna build a million followers on a platform that then everyone leaves that platform because you're really renting someone else's platform when you're building it on social. So I don't want to build a business on social. I want to collect actual emails that I can just email even if social media dies. So content for discoverability and email for lead capture. Well, I think of like MySpace back in the day, like every band was on MySpace and they were like, I don't need a website. I can post my music on my profile. People can add it to their profiles. It's great. It's better than a website. You know, everyone's going to go there anyway. So why would I need an email list? Dude, and nobody knows what MySpace is. And that's the point. (laughs) That's what people are doing with Instagram today or with Facebook today or whatever it is. Like you can't build a business. You can for a time, but it's not wise to build a business based off of someone else's platform that could come or go with regulation, with, you know, a CEO is let go or scandal or just the trends change. Like There's so much uncertainty there. So people don't change their email. People still interact with email. It's the best way to get a hold of people. So that's why, yeah, you don't bank on a platform. Even though YouTube has been really good for me, if YouTube goes away, at least I've captured hundreds of thousands of email addresses over the years that I can still let them know, hey, now I'm going to be posting over here. I can just send out one email and everybody gets it. So, so important. That's a missing piece. And then from there, we have an automated email funnel that once they're on your list, it's just pre-written emails that connect with them, over-deliver it, send them a little valuable thank you gift, and then eventually let them know about your product, which is then the fourth component, your product, your online course, your membership site. And this is like the salesman that you don't have to employ, that you don't have to be yourself, who can work 24-7, that never calls in sick or gets tired or anything. He's always interacting with your newest people that found you and are now on your email list, and he's always consistently delivering your sales messaging the way you set it up, the way you feel comfortable with, and people can buy from you. And so it's those four components that are actually really simple and cheap to set up at their core, maybe overwhelming if you've never done it before, but really once they're set up, then what the public sees, you were saying what the public might see of me is all my YouTube videos, and they think I'm trying to grow a YouTube following or run paid ads on my YouTube videos so I can get ad revenue. No, I'm trying to be discovered on YouTube to then invite people into my ecosystem that I own and control 
that allows them to go deeper with my content and get more value and they become paying customers. And that's how I build a business. So all of that's fascinating to me, just like setting up a good mix or setting up your home studio to sound good, like you're doing in your new space, like the formula or the crafting of this beautiful thing that works. It's just fun. And once you get it working, to me, it's the best business model in the world because I spend my time helping people for free, but I get paid on the back end. Right, right. So if someone's new to this whole business model and they hear you saying this, they're thinking, okay, well, that's great. But, you know, still at the end of the day, in order to make money, I got to, you know, work my hands to the bone. I got to break my back. What would you say to that? Well, it's, it's just baloney. I mean, it's, it's bogus. <laughs> it's either a lack of creativity or just a lack of awareness of what's possible, which is fine too. I didn't know this business model was possible. The thing is, is we're living in the most amazing time in the history of the universe where there's so many possibilities. So because of the internet, because of connecting tools, because of search engines, it is possible to get your stuff, your music, your message, your products in front of millions of people who are the right fit for it quickly, cheaply, easily. What you want ideally is to have a business that you own that runs without you. So if you're a musician, you have to think of yourself as a business because you you are, you always have been, even if you grew up in the 80s and 90s and you wanted to be signed to a label and you know you make a living that way, there was still a business of you. You just didn't have to do it yourself. That's what the label did, the PR people, the marketing people that got you on radio, the people doing your you know music videos. Nowadays, you kind of have to do it yourself for the most part. But the great news is that you have more creative control. The tools are cheap and easy. So what you need to think of is your brand and what you don't want to do is build a business that I, I personally think requires you to always be working in it. That's not how people become millionaires or billionaires, right? They they build something that they then can automate or hire people to do the work, or they just buy businesses that exist. Like you can't make millions and billions of dollars, and that may not be your goal. You might just want to make $100,000 a year, which is a great goal. But it's hard to do that just by doing all the work yourself. It's possible, but then you'll get burned out or you'll have kids, or your, your wife or husband will get sick, or you have a pandemic. You know, like, <laughs> so many businesses were great until the pandemic. So many musicians were great until the pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not like a scare tactic person, but if I could show you a better way, you know, just like anyone finds a better way of doing something, like, hey, check this out. This is better than what we used to do. Like, don't you want to know the better way? And so if you're a musician, I think you want to diversify the way you make your money, right? Like traditionally, if you had royalties off of a song being played on the radio or being played in a TV commercial or whatever, like that's a great income stream because it's a royalty. You've done the work by creating the piece of art. And now you're getting checks for not doing anything. That's a great royalty to have. It's a great income stream to have. You almost want to create multiple streams of income as a musician. And maybe you're getting paid for your downloads or streams. Maybe you're doing live gigs or you were, or you're doing online gigs. Maybe you've got some affiliate products. I don't know for the guitars you use or whatever, or you have some kind of endorsement deal that's possible, but there's another way to add an income stream. And that could be through the audience that you build your fans. You can get them to pay you directly for lots of stuff. Patreon is a great example. I have a friend who is a acapella singer on YouTube named Peter Hollins. He's got like 2 million subscribers on YouTube. He just does music videos of covers of popular songs that he arranges for the human voice and does acapella productions and they sound amazing. 
but he makes a good chunk of his living through Patreon. He wants people to support him, so they pay him a buck a month or five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or whatever to just to support him. Uh, and they'll get bonuses and cool stuff or access to him or whatever, but they just love the artist and they want to support him. And he, he makes a multiple six-figure salary just off of his Patreon alone, and that's one of his income streams because he has streams and he has all kinds of other stuff, but that's a dependable one. So Patreon is great or creating your own fan club, which is kind of like Patreon, but you could create it yourself and charge whatever you want and not split the proceeds with a tool like Patreon. And you give people behind the scenes access or live concerts or swag or free tickets when you're actually doing a show in their area, when you can do shows again. There's a lot of ways I would just want musicians to think differently about the fact that you are a brand, people like you. So what else would they like from you? And you'd be surprised what people might pay for, and that can help diversify your income. Right, right. Well, I think of the concept that some people love you, even though some people only like you. Some people really freaking love you. So why wouldn't you try to cash in on that? Just because, you know, 90% of your people out there are only just going to maybe save one of your songs on Spotify and just go about the rest of your day. Why are you treating your true fans and your super fans the same way as just a casual fan who may have saved one song? So give them something more and let them support you. That's a great point. There's the 80-20 rule, right? The Pareto's principle, which is sort of like a universal law that you see in nature. And, and it's where, you know, 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort. 80% of the work in volunteer organizations is done by 20% of the volunteers. 80% of the wealth is held by 20% of the people. You see this lopsided, it's not always 80-20, sometimes it's 90-10, 95-5, but it's this lopsided ratio. And that is so true in business where... 20% of your customers are generating 80% of your revenue because they're willing to buy all the things where 80% of your customers, they just buy the one thing or like download the one song. So it's probably with your music, probably 20% of your music is leading to 80% of your streams or maybe even more hyper lopsided than that. Maybe it's one song leads to 90% of your streams. So it's like finding the small percent that's working and doubling down on that. So if you have customers, you could assume with 80-20, that 20% of the people that buy your music or stream your music would want more from you. And then Perry Marshall, who's a brilliant marketer, he takes 80-20 another layer deep. So he takes the 20% of the 20%, which is what are your top 4%? Because that'd be the top 4% of your customers or fans. They're statistically willing to spend 16 times what your average customer would spend if you just look at the 80-20 rule. And that just was more of an eye-opener of what you just said, David, which is your super fans, which are going to be the smallest percentage, just assume the top 4% or 5%, would buy anything you put out. They're going to stream your music. They'd buy the vinyl. They'd buy the CD. They'd buy the 8-track. They'd, they'd buy an iPod that came preloaded with your music and you can't even like... Like they would buy your music on all the platforms just because they love what you do. And that's where you want to, you said cash in on, but it, another way to think of it is where can I add more value to those people? Like they're my super fans. What would they find valuable? And it may not be what you would find valuable. Maybe you wouldn't pay to hang out with somebody or pay to be a part of a live stream, but your fans might. So like, don't make the decision for them. Think about or ask them better yet what more can I do for you? Like what would be helpful or fun or cool and pay attention to what people say. And there's a lot of ways to monetize that. Maybe it's merch. Maybe everyone's like, dude, I just wish I had merch and you've never considered merch. Well then make some merch and it'll be for those top fans. But there's always money left on the table and you don't have to cater to all people equally, which is what I love that you brought up because they're not equal. So love all of them equally, but like really build your business around the super fans because they're the ones that are going to keep you in business. 
Right. One of the things I've been pushing artists to do is not just try to grow your Instagram followers, but nurture your Instagram followers into true fans and nurture true fans into super fans. Don't obsess over the vanity metrics, like figure out what's actually going to drive your business. Yeah. Well, dude, like size doesn't matter. From the outside looking in, people think it does. It's misleading. For example, my two businesses, Recording Revolution has over 600,000 subscribers on its YouTube channel. Okay. The Graham Cochran brand, I have like 22,000 subscribers, less than 10%, right? Less than 3% the size, tiny in comparison. This year, I will make more money in the Graham Cochran brand than I will on the Recording Revolution. It's because the amount of super fans is very similar within those two audiences, even though one is huge, one is small, the amount that matters, the ones that will spend a lot of money with me is about the same. It might even be smaller in the Graham Cochran brand, but then I can sell more expensive things in that brand because I'm teaching business owners how to grow their business as opposed to music. So the point though, is that like, I've never been worried about matching my own YouTube channel stats. <laughs> when I started, I was like, oh crap, I have to start from zero again. It'll never be as big as Recording Revolution. But once I got over myself in the vanity metrics of it, I realized I'm in this for a business to take care of my family, to reach my goals and to serve people. I don't need a million followers. Kevin Kelly of Wired Magazine has that great thousand true fan concept. And I always loved that article that he wrote because his whole idea was if you're a creative, how could you make $100,000 a year? He said, if you had a thousand super fans, basically, that loved everything you did, that paid you $100 a year for something, that equates to about eight bucks a month you can make $100,000 a year. You don't need a million followers. You don't even need 10,000. Just need 1,000 super fans and they'll follow you through thick and thin. So think about ways you can find them, ask them what they want more of. How could you add value to them in new ways? And you can build a business off of that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, on on the, the subject of quantity versus quality, I've heard you talk about how you have some students that only have a couple hundred people on their email list and they're making over six figures. It goes back to the, your effort should be spent not growing your follower count or necessarily even your stream numbers, but really nurturing the people that are going to support your business and love everything you do. Right? Like, dude, if you're a musician that had, let's say you're like world-class at what you do, maybe you're kind of niched in some instrument. Maybe you're just a killer trumpet player and you've got great jazz music and people love your music and you're making money off of streams. But what if you could find 10 super fans that want to become world-class at their instrument and learn what you're doing and they were willing to pay you $1,000 a month to be in a group coaching product with you or a mastermind with you where they hung out with you every week, they got to get to know you, you got to know them, you could coach them directly. That's 10,000 a month. Or maybe if you only could charge 500 bucks a month, maybe you need 20 of them and you just coach them. Like, most people will ever stream your music, but you could work with a small group of people and make a great living having fun with them, teaching them. And then that's where you want to get creative is like, you have so much more value than you think. Most people might go, I would never pay him that amount of money. You're right. Most people won't, but you don't need most people. You just need a handful of people. And that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. That's okay. That's something that I, I tell people is like, just because your family and your friends from high school don't want to pay you money for your music doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't value to someone else and someone else doesn't love what you do. So on the subject of what you can offer to people, a lot of people jump straight to merch or jump straight to Patreon where they're like, you know, posting a new cover every week. Maybe could you give us like some ideas that you've seen musicians put out there as a form of a it's a blank canvas here. <laughs> Let, let's maybe get the wheels turning. 
Well, yeah. I mean, think about what I did. I'm a musician who turned a skill of audio engineering into an online business. Now, I went full on into it because I saw the income potential and I loved it. And so I, over the years, would focus more of my effort on that to grow a big business. But maybe you just want an extra $50,000 a year. That's really doable with an online business. You could take what you're good at and what you know. So I have students, for example, who are vocalists, singers, and they become vocal coaches. They teach other vocalists how to improve their voice or how to keep their voice healthy or even increase their their range. Uh, and so they're creating content on YouTube and building an audience and building an email list. And they have an online course about vocal coaching and they sell that. And once you get the system in place, it becomes part of their weekly rhythm to maybe shoot a new video and upload it. And that's all they have to do. So it's a little bit of upfront work and then it's much less ongoing work. So you could sell a course. And that would probably be the best thing I would say is if you are already doing all those other things you mentioned, what is your skill set? So if you're if you're a guitar player in a band, you could teach guitar. I was in line in Southwest Airlines in Nashville uh, for a flight back to Tampa, and then the lead guitar player of Skillet came up to me, <laughs> and he was like, "Bro, I just are you the Recording Revolution guy?" <laughs> and he's like, "I was just watching your videos last night. Can I sit next to you on the plane? Because it's Southwest open seating, so we're sitting next to each other." <laughs> and this is what he's talking about. He's like, in between touring, he's like, "I coach people on how to play guitar." And I'm trying to get like clients on, on Instagram, but like, I should probably be making a course, right? I was like, you probably should. Like, bro, like you can crush on the guitar. If you just made some content, you could build a following and then push them to an, a course where you're teaching guitar instead of you having to have coaching or students or, you know, whatever all the time. And that's an element. He's not going to stop touring or playing with Skillet, but he could easily add 50K, 100K or more to his income stream just by doing the upfront work of getting a course built and building an audience on YouTube. So could you teach your instrument? Could you teach your voice? And, and it, dude, I've got clients who don't even teach what they're doing for a living. They know another skill. Like maybe you're good at coding. Maybe you're a musician, but you can code apps. Like you can build a business teaching other people how to code. Just get creative as far as like what other value you have that people would find valuable. And if you know any skill, like literally, I, I wrote the book. I was telling you, David, I, I wrote a book. It's coming out in 2022 called How to Get Paid for What You Know. And literally, this is the future of this knowledge commerce industry is what they're talking about. Like you may not want to go full time and be an online business owner and think of yourself as a business. So eject that language. A lot of musicians don't think of themselves as a business. Okay, eject the language. You can get paid for the stuff you know about. <laughs> and and so that's what I teach in my courses and on my website, my podcast. That's what I'm going to teach in the book. But what else do you know that you could turn into monetizable content that it doesn't take all week long to do this? I spend five to six hours a week on my business. That's it. Maybe it'll take you a little bit longer up front to build a course, but once it's built, you could spend less than 10 hours a week on this and then it can scale and grow for you. And that would be a great way to diversify, even if it has nothing to do with music. Yeah, yeah, totally. What about in the vein of still providing value to your fans, maybe not necessarily teaching a skill or, or whatever. Have you seen some fan clubs work or things in that vein? Yeah. I mean, fan clubs, I think they work great. Like I, as much as I love Patreon, I love the idea of owning your own fan club because you can control a lot more things of it. You can control the price point. You can control what you're delivering and you don't split the cost with anybody. So if you have a fan club, you have to think about what would people pay every month to be a part of this club and what would they get and why would it be valuable? And it's going to be multifaceted. So yeah, maybe if you already have merch, maybe they get a t-shirt when they join, but 
can you do like live songwriting sessions where the camera's on and you're just like writing the songs in front of them live and no one gets to see that your mess ups, your screw ups. Maybe you don't even talk to the camera. You just set it on and you just roll. Maybe it's like you're doing private concerts once a month, live streams just for them, where you're taking requests live just from them. Maybe it's just hangouts. Like this is the crazy thing. People will pay money if they like you just to virtually hang out with you. They want to ask you questions, but they also just want to know that they're in a group with you live. And if it's small enough where you might call out their name or just know that they exist or they want more of you, right? It's the same thing that led us to our favorite celebrities wanting to watch like documentaries of the celebrities. And that led to now obviously Instagram, (laughs) people are stalking other celebrities' lives. We want to just know even if it's not important, like what are you eating for breakfast? Like it's stupid to to people that don't care about the celebrity, but if it's someone you care about, they want to know everything. And so live engagement online, if you're intentional, you can save some of it for the, the public, but save like the good live stuff or behind a paywall where your fan club, they get access to you in a way other people don't. And access is the key. That's what people are paying for. They're paying for access to you, closeness to you, just like at a concert. If you got a VIP pass, like you sit a little closer, maybe you get to meet the band afterwards. Like it's the same concept, but digitally, like your super fans want to get as close to you as possible. So give them that opportunity in a fan club where it's going to be a combination of all those things and maybe more. Maybe if you're touring again, it's like you're going to get free tickets when I'm in your area and they're backstage passes or something. So like I just will post the cities I'm hitting up and you'll know about this and you type in this code and you get it for free. Like you can get creative for stuff that you don't even have to deliver on yet, but they're going to get access to and try it out. Try it out at a low price and see if people join and then raise the price a little bit next time and, and grandfather the old people in. There's a lot of ways to basically create a private community where they have more access to you. And then you can ask them what they want more of while they're in the community. And then you can tweak your fan club to include that. One of the things I've noticed is that people want to support musicians they love. Because it is the arts, I think people are, are fine saying, yeah, you know, I want to support these guys because I like these guys. I've noticed there are a lot of people, oftentimes, you know, they're older retirees that just want to, you know, feel young again. They're more than willing to pay 200 bucks to have dinner with the band before, even if they already like, you know, are on like a first name basis with the band. They're not necessarily paying for access because they've never accessed them. But like, they're all just like, why not? I'll, I'll do kind of like a pseudo fundraising gala, but you know, it's, it's at the venues bar, (laughs) you know, sort of a thing. Yeah, dude, exactly. You'd be surprised that when we can start doing more in-person stuff again, weekend retreats, those are huge in almost any business where it's, it's the ultimate access, right? I watch you on YouTube. I listen to your song. Okay. Now I'm in like your private community. And so I can maybe chat to you or like you get closer and closer. Maybe even if you hired me as a coach or a consultant or whatever, but now can I come hang out with you in person for the weekend somewhere and if you're a musician, it can literally just be hangouts. It doesn't have to be anything. It could just be just, you rent a nice house. They pay a lot of money. Like my buddy and I, Joe, we did these in-person workshops for teaching people recording, but it was like, take a YouTube video and put it in person. And people would pay a few thousand dollars a pop to come hang out in Nashville for the weekend and record a band with us, mix a band with us, really just have the meals with us and hang out. And half of them are retirees with lots of money. And then half of them were just guys that were younger that I was surprised they were willing to fork out the money, but they just wanted to be closer. It sounds really egotistical, but they wanted to hang out with us. And then some of them became friends. Like it was, then we have phone, phone number access. And like, 
I've paid to get closer to people because I really want to be their friend. So I'm paying for their friendship. Dude, people will pay that for you as well. And so just get creative about what that looks like. Look at other business models. Look at what they're doing. Even if they're not musicians, say, is there a way I can incorporate that into what I'm doing? Because I, I bet you most musicians aren't doing it. They just are so in their musician lane, just copying whatever other musicians doing. And like, that's how you become average because you're literally doing what everyone's doing. So don't do what everyone's doing. Look at the industries that are outside of you. It might have to tweak it, but dude, how can I incorporate that as a musician? It's unconventional, right? That's why Business Insider said, how is this musician, you know, making 75K a month or 100K a month or whatever as a musician? Said, well, it's because I'm doing something unconventional. I'm not just touring. I'm not just getting more streams. It's because I, I found another way to add value. And that may not be what you want to do, but get creative. And then you can, so now I'm freed up to make all the music I want in the world. It almost doesn't matter if anyone buys it, streams it. Like, so can the money come from somewhere else or can it still come from your business, but you just incorporate new offers into what you're doing that aren't traditional for a musician. That's what I'm interested in. Well, and it's weird because in music, it seems like there's kind of this hill that a lot of people die on and like, I'm going to make a living only through my streams because then that means I'm a real artist. When the reality is musicians hate this. I catch myself saying this all the time, but like you need money to live. <laughs> like making money is not evil as much as it sometimes feels like in the music business. So it's totally okay to figure out how do I actually use what I'm doing to make revenue aside from, okay, you become the next Taylor Swift or whatever. Yeah. I mean, dude, it is a hill that people die on and, and they're hurting themselves only. So I don't think you have to choose one or the other, right? I think you have to be, be a, a big boy, big girl and say, okay, I need to pay my bills. I need to provide for my family. Plus I want to be able to like take a trip or like go to that restaurant or do the things I want to do. And that costs money. So I need money. What do I want to be doing with my life? I like that question. I don't think you should just sell out for money. And so a lot of artists, they, they, they give up and, and they, they just go find a job they hate because it pays the bills and they have, they feel like they have to make that choice. I don't think you have to make that choice, but I don't think it's the opposite either, which is like you said, die on the hill of, I'm only going to play music and I'm not going to do anything else. I don't, don't listen to what this guy Graham's talking about with courses and fan clubs. It's stupid. I'm just going to play my music. That's very hard to make that your source of income. It's possible. So it's not impossible, but it's, it's harder. So where can you get creative where it's like, you can think about either the way musicians back in the day made a living, either they had a patron. That's what, you know, Patreon is, but they had someone who like just literally funded them for the arts, which is great. It's like getting a grant for a researcher who doesn't do anything that makes money, but somebody gives them a grant to pay their bills so they can just research all day, right? That happens. Hard to bank on that. So if that's not an option for you, or maybe Patreon is part of that in a way you have little mini patrons, what else can you do? Maybe it is a side job because a lot of times artists that back in the day, they were, they had jobs, like they were tent makers or they built things like they would do that part of the day. And then they would do their music, like do whatever you got to do so that you can create the art you want to create. Don't be cynical or resentful of the fact that you might have to have a part-time job or a side gig. Hey, that's only getting easier in this day and age to do all kinds of like not temp work. It used to just be like, that's temp work. Like it was a bad thing. Like everyone has multiple gigs now. Everyone's like a freelancer, uh, even people in business. Like I don't even employ employees. I have like contractors because they're fractional. They work for other people and they own their own schedule. And so it's a wonderful time to be multifaceted. 
And hey, I was the king of growing up saying, I only want to do one thing and one thing only. I want to be really well known for one thing. For a long time, it was acting, then it was music. And I was going to live and die on that hill of like, I don't want to be multi-talented, multi-interested because that means I'm a jack of all trades, master of none, which is what was my fear. I've had to get over that and realize actually my multiple interests, multiple talents, multiple opportunities are the gift. That's what's going to allow me to have a more interesting life, interact with all kinds of different people and have more avenues for income because I can do lots of different things. And then that's allowed me to have more free time to do all the things I want to do with less pressure for them to have to pay my bills. So you, I think you can have your cake and eat it too, but I would definitely open your mind to what's possible and decide what is it you ultimately want. Like, what do you want more than just playing music? Like you want to also live a good life and you get to decide what that looks like, but be open-minded to what could get you there. Yeah. So let's say I'm an artist that has like a five song EP out on Spotify, maybe a few thousand streams on each song. I'm definitely not, you know, hitting the big time. People say they like my music, but it doesn't really feel like I'm, you know, making it big by any means at all. I'm starting to play shows again, and I'm interested in building a online component of my business. Maybe you're like, dude, I only have like a hundred listeners each month. There's no way that I'm going to have enough people to buy a hundred dollar a month fan club membership. Where would someone in that position start? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be two prongs to growing that income, right? One is getting more eyes on what you're doing. And the other is giving more offers to those people. So on the offer side, let's start with that. Like I would start with a, a fan club. I mean, it might be small and, you know, it might be eight bucks a month. It might be 10 bucks a month. But again, if you could, even just 10 people paying you 10 bucks a month is a hundred bucks a month, consistent recurring that you didn't have. Start by coming up with that, that offer and make sure you have your fans email addresses. If you don't already, like wherever they're streaming or interacting with your music, get them on your email list and then say, Hey, I'm launching this cool new thing. This is what you're going to get exclusive streams. You're going to get this, you're going to get that. Uh, if you want to be a part of it, sign up and support. It helps support me and my music. And then I get to know you better and it becomes a private group. And we get, you know, you can help steer the ship of my career and help me think through even naming my songs and, and the songs you like that should be on an EP or not like that cool collaborative effort, right? So maybe create the offer, but then you really need to get more eyeballs on what you're doing. And that comes from, if you're, you're going to leverage YouTube, then doing covers, because again, people aren't going to type your name into YouTube if you're not famous. They're going to type other people's names into YouTube that are famous. So you want to be creating videos that have those people's names in the title so you have a chance of showing up. So clever covers or re remixes or whatever, maybe most of them won't pop. But even if just one eventually pops or the algorithm starts recommending it when people are listening to a Taylor Swift song, for example— that's all you need to get a little bit of eyeballs on what you're doing, especially if you're talented. And then they might go check out your original music or subscribe to your list for like the EP for free or whatever it might be. Now you have more people to offer your fan club to. So growing eyeballs through maybe covers on YouTube, which some people say they hate. I don't want to do covers on YouTube. Well, good luck. Like covers aren't all you have to do, but it should be one of your regular pieces of content is cover. So at least once a month, you're doing a cover of something, if not more. But then collaborate, like find other artists that are similar size in a similar genre to you that you feel like you could have a win-win mutual where you do a live stream together. Or you like, I'll do a video on your channel, you do a video on my channel because maybe they have 100 followers and you have 100 followers. Well, now we can double our following and they're probably going to like both of us because they like similar music. Collaborations have been huge for me over the years where you don't view other people doing what you're doing as a competitor. You view them as a potential friend, a potential collaborator. 
not all of them are going to be interested in collaborating with you, but some will. And you just need one or two good collaborations to get in front of other people's audiences. So borrowing other people's audiences, borrowing the celebrity of other people's names with YouTube videos, those two things really help you get some momentum online and then having an offer of a low price fan club. Again, start with like, how could I pay my cell phone bill with a fan club? How could I then pay my car payment with a fan club? How could I pay my rent or my mortgage with a fan club? And like, make it a goal to have a specific dollar amount that's being replaced by this recurring revenue stream. Then it becomes much more enjoyable as opposed to, I got to make 5,000 a month right now on this thing. Well, you may not get there right away. Most people don't get there right away, but it can scale, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. One of the things it seems to me is that in a lot of ways, your music on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever has become like content is for a lot of YouTubers in that they're just putting stuff out constantly, which is super easy to do. Like now that, you know, things like DistroKid are a thing where it's just all you can eat. You can upload as much stuff as you want. What would you say for like an artist in terms of putting out a single song regularly in terms of actually being able to attract more eyeballs. Is there any validity to drawing that comparison between a new song on Spotify every month and a new YouTube video every week sort of a thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for one, I do think there is a comparison because we used to sell the music and that's what made the living. Now the music in a way we give for free to build the audience so that we can then sell them other things, which is where a lot of people get stuck because they, they hate that. But it kind of is the new model in a lot of ways. Then two, yeah, like there's the argument to be made of, we don't have to think in terms of albums or EPs anymore if you don't want to. You're an artist that like is dropping a new song. So if you happen to drop a new song every other month, that would be six songs a year. That'd be 12 songs every two years, which used to be the every two year album drop. (laughs) You know, it's the same amount of content. So that's a good starting point. Like that's every eight weeks you drop a new song. If that's all the time you have, that's great. Or like I've on the Recording Revolution, a couple of times I did what was called the one song, one month challenge. And the whole point was to show people like, yeah, don't, don't think about albums or EPs if that's overwhelming. Just drop a song in the next 30 days. So write it one week, record it one week, mix it the next week, and then create some album art and distribute it the following week. And then that was 30 days. You got a new song. If you have rhythms and if you're intentional with your system of how you spend your time each week as a musician, which you should, because it's it's a job. So you got to know what you're doing on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Maybe one of your days you're working on your, your original music. You could pump out a song every month. I think that does help. It certainly helps with YouTube if you're uploading there as well for the algorithm, because they, they're looking for consistency. Who's posting consistently? And then it just helps for your fan base because there's always something new to talk about. There's always something new to share and that keeps you top of mind. And that might be less overwhelming for people who are like, I got to write a bunch of songs and then mix a bunch of songs. Like I hate mixing albums. I much prefer mixing a single because it's like just one and done, get it out there. Even if it's the same amount of work spread out over a year or two, it feels less overwhelming for some reason. Yeah, same. Actually, (laughs) you're not alone on that front. So any other just kind of last minute tips for an artist who's just getting into this world of just overall content creation, online business? Yeah, I would say, especially for musicians, is you're so much more than your music. So extrapolate that however you want. Let people into your world. Let them know the person behind the music, your likes, your dislikes, And that's scary in this landscape, especially recently where there's cancel culture is huge, where you feel like you're not allowed to share your opinions because if enough loud people disagree with them, they'll just destroy you. 
And I, I don't know, like, I don't think you have to worry about being destroyed as much as people are afraid they are. Because look, none of us are really big celebrities. So like, it, it really doesn't matter. Again, you might have people that hate you, but your super fans will support you. So share what you think about things, light or heavy. You know, share what your, your world's like, your life's like. So you're not always having to put out music. It can just be behind the scenes content of, you know, what your days look like, what you're doing with your family, the music you're listening to, what's in the music news, like if there's something interesting with Spotify drops, like as a business, as an organization or what they're doing or versus Apple Music, you can comment on it in a video that probably would pop on YouTube as well, even though that's not you as the musician that shows there's more to you than just your music. I think that helps your super fans fall in love with you even more. And then I think that helps you appeal to more people that maybe they liked your music, but didn't realize how interesting of a person you truly are. Right, right. And that's a part of the nurturing someone who's just kind of casually aware of you into to something more. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Graham, thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, giving us your insights into the, the online business world. Where can people find you? Yeah, if you're interested in this content, I would say go to GrahamCochran.com. There's a big workshop button right there on the homepage. If you're like, dude, I want to learn this stuff. It's a free 45-minute training that literally breaks down the business model. I would encourage you to watch it and think of like, what does this mean for me as an artist? What does this mean for me as a musician? And see how that model works. Because that's literally note for note what I do for a living. So if that's interesting to you, check it out. That's a great starting point. And then of course, if you just like podcasting stuff, you can listen to my show, The Graham Cochran Show, where I'm just teaching this stuff every week. Mm -hmm. And also your YouTube videos on how to record stuff at home, bulletproof. So go check those out. Yes, lots of those. <laughs> lots of those, yep. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, David. So that's it for my conversation today with Graham Cochran. Hope you got something out of it. Maybe the wheels are turning in your head just a little bit more about how to bring in more money. <laughs> I mean, musicians need money. It's something we don't like to talk about, but it's also a fact of life. So hopefully you got some good ideas there. Real quick before we go, a couple of favors to ask. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you just go ahead and give us a quick five-star review? Helps the show rank higher, helps more people find the show. Also, if you're working on new music and you want to know how to promote your music, we have a free half-hour workshop called Rock the Release. It's just going to teach you the entire game plan for what you need to do in order to start getting attention, get on playlists, get on blogs used by all the top indie artists. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for Rock the Release. But for now, that's it, and we'll see you next week. Hey!